Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have a fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the coaches net. Once again, that's at the coaches net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest for me today. My guest today is Ian Brunschweiler. Morning, Ian. How are you? Or afternoon, rather. Yeah, it's just afternoon now, isn't it? Yeah, really, really uh, nice to see you, Yas, and uh, good to be on with you. No, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to this one. But Ian, just before we get into the thick of it, maybe just a brief insight around who you are, what you do, what you've been doing, and we'll go from there. Yeah, no problem. Well, I'm quite old now, so there's quite a lot to go through, so I'll try and keep it quite brief. Um, I'm a Southampton lad, so started off in sport playing at Southampton Centre of Excellence, as they used to be called in the day. Now they're called academies. And then ended up playing cricket and football, but went down the cricket route. So I was a professional cricketer for about five years at Hampshire. And then I sort of worked in cricket with the playing for about... 12 years or so so I was a player and then I coached at Hampshire had the great privilege of coaching England under 19s and under 17s which was a bit of a dream job uh so yeah playing then coaching my life was coaching and then more latterly I've moved from being on the grass coaching to being involved sort of coaching the coaches so I did a couple of years in and around Olympic programs so I ran a I ran a department who were deploying coach development solutions into Olympic sports. Um, and then, yeah, for the last nearly six years, I've been at Southampton, my home club, where I started off as the coach development manager. And for the last couple of years, I've been the head of technical development. So, yeah, hopefully that's a brief history. Yeah, no, definitely. And it really insightful. And you've, got my, you've got my man racing really in terms of how many different directions this conversation can go in but you know I want to take it right to the top of that you know you said that cricketer as well as it being involved in football and um the topic of discussion for me recently with a few different coaches around the impact and the importance and maybe the benefits of multi-sports so you know yeah. what, what what's that experience been like for you because obviously you know going from cricket and football is two very different sports mm. um both team sports of course but you know my initial thoughts moved to the idea that maybe cricket might be a lot more individualized within the coaching aspect of it yeah yeah very um, much so so um i guess a bit more insight is when i finished as a pro cricketer i then had four four or five seasons as a semi-pro footballer as well so i played non-league which so i've had the great privilege of playing at wembley in the vars final so i've had a bit of footballing experience as well um but yeah i mean multi-sport for me as an individual and whilst I was at Stampton was very high on the agenda. Um, as a kid, I played football, hockey, cricket, rugby, tennis. <laughs> you know, I did it all, athletics. I loved it. Um, 
just loved everything, every sport I just loved. And then I think that gave me an advantage as I was coming through, I guess you'd call them talent pathways, that I was, I moved pretty well. I had good hand-eye coordination. I could catch, kick, hit, throw. Um, and that I think is really important for young for young kids. Um, many of your listeners, I'm sure, will have, um, have read lots of texts, um, but there's a book called Range, which um, uh, which goes, I think it's David Epstein who wrote it, but it goes into, I think he, one of the chapters he compares Tiger Woods and Roger Federer. Yeah. Tiger Woods, very over early specialism model and, you know, played golf from the age of two or whatever. And it was just golf, 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 golf. Federer, according to this text, played a whole range of different sports, football. I think it was his mum was a coach and she was very multi-sport oriented. That's and, correct. Uh, and I think it, 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 there's also within that that he actually kind of maybe was a bit reluctant to play tennis as a, as a main sport in the first. Yeah, and that's it. And then and I took think, it up in his teenage years, right? Yeah. And I think it was only when he was about 12, 13, 14, he started specialising in tennis. And then, you know, the, one of the greatest sportsmen of our generation. Um, and there's lots of examples. Um, so I guess in answer to your question, I'm very pro multi-sport. But I've also, in my experience of working at the football club, have seen some kids who just love football. So I think it's not, I don't think everyone yeah. has to do it. Like it's it's more what, what lights the fire inside. Well, yeah. it's, it's interesting you say it because right, you know, as soon as you said that, you know, you've tried all these different sports, my first thought was, well, was it the sport that engaged you or the way in which you were engaged within the sport that made the difference? Because I think fundamentally it's how you're exposed to it, right? And, you know, and part of the conversation I've been having recently with a few people is, especially looking at multi-sports programmes within football clubs in particular, is there a need for it? Is there a place for it? Is it really valued? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's the, you know, what's the fundamental outcome of it? Is it to expose people to different sports? Is it to expose them to coaching of different sports and the techniques that come with it? What, mm-hmm. you know, what what's the fundamental outcome here in you know, it'd be interesting to get maybe an insight on what your journey was in that respect and just generally what your thoughts are on that question. Yeah, I think this comes back to one of my big learnings over the last sort of 20, 25 years, which is it's really important to be clear on your purpose. Like be clear on what it is you're going after, because you might go into a club and they say, uh, hey, yes, like we're doing a multi-sport program. And the obvious question is why? Why? What well, you know, and unless I think, you know, someone wise said to be like unless you can give three or four really good reasons why then probably not enough validation to do something so I think that would be my first comment is so I'll, I'll use Southampton as an example which is my most the, the example I know the best but there was a very very clear rationale for us doing a multi-sport program and we had experts in the building who could deliver it to a really high level and we genuinely had a philosophy that it would support specific elements of the young players program. So, so in answer to my own question, I think there was a very clear purpose and a why. Whereas you might find a different, you know, context is king, isn't it? Like you might go to a different academy or a different talent pathway where you go for whatever reason, this context doesn't lend itself to needing multi-sport. Um, I think in general, uh, I've got, so I forgot again, for my context, I've got two little boys. 
uh, Oscar and Henry, one of them is 10, one's seven. So I'm currently experiencing what it's like to be a sports dad and, you know, a parent, which is, you know, chaos. Um, however, they both love their sport. Their school does a bit of sport, but it doesn't do loads of sport. And so um, let's say one of them happened to be in a football academy. I could see the rationale of doing some multi-sport, particularly in the foundation phase age groups because they're not getting loads of different sport at school. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but a couple of bits, A, it needs yeah. a purpose, B, it's the context. Uh, no, I fully agree with you. I think it, it, everything that we do needs to have a purpose. And I think you're right, it does have to have um, more than one reason to, for it to be significantly valuable and, and justified in that respect. I, I mean, it's interesting, obviously you said that you've got experts in the building that can teach these. So, were the experts there before the multi-sports was considered or were the experts brought in because of the, the rationale and the and the vision of the multi-sports programme is probably the question I'm thinking about most because it's that then leads, you know, probably direct us towards what, what's, what's the purpose here? Is it yeah. is it an engagement piece? Is it a, you know, mm-hmm. and a conversation I've been having most recently is that when we're going down the multi-sports route, are we exposing them to these different sports with the, with the opportunities to maybe again for them to experience what the sports are in the first instance but more specifically to see how they naturally would operate when playing these sports or are we going down the route of actually let's get some expert coaches and or people who have the knowledge of, of that sport so they can teach from the fundamental techniques um and you know and then it, it you just goes kind of it kind of it delves really deeper into that ecological dynamic dynamics uh, conversation doesn't it around well are we prescribing patterns or are we letting them explore it in, in, to an extent? Yeah. yeah, no, no. Well, there's a lot in that question. Um, um, so going back to your original question, which I think was, were they in the building or did they bring, we bring them in? And the answer is both. So we had a couple of very, very smart S&C coaches who were technically very astute coaches themselves, as well as being S&C coaches. So they, they initiated the programme and they built a program and there was a clear rationale. I'll give you an example. So one of the sports they engaged in was Kabaddi and that was about movement patterns or they did some sort of like grappling and rolling because it was all about the ability to hit the deck, uh, you know, soak up force and then get back up again. So there was a clear, like this sport will bring us this, this sport will bring us this. But when I came actually to the club, they'd already started doing it. And I think I asked a question a bit like you've just asked, which is, well, are you a good enough coach at some of these other sports? So we engaged with Hampshire Cricket, for example, who are experts at coaching cricket. They came in and ran cricket related sessions. So they did catch, hit, throw, which you might go, well, what's catch, hit, throw got to do with football? But I think they're good general movement, hand-eye coordination. I mean, one of the things was they saw some of the kids who were at Saints and were like, can these guys come, come and be an Hampshire talent pathway because we've got some talented, talented youngsters. But yeah, so it was a combination of we had some very, very skillful um, S&C coaches who I think that had that broad athletic development locked down. And then we supplemented that with coaches externally. But again, you know, I think there's some great insight there. And you talked there about having, you know, being technically astute amongst some of the S&C coaches so you know, I want to dive into that a little bit deeper now. Mm. And there's a lot of opinions in terms of 
um, how coach education has moved forward within football in particular. Yeah. Um, and I think there'll be a general, a general agreement, a general consensus in in that maybe it's moved away from the technical piece. Um, not to say that it's not important anymore, but it's more, moved much more in terms of supporting coaches and understanding the deeper how to set an environment and become more effective at maybe building relationships with players and, and what what are your thoughts on that? What you know, what's your observations around that, and how does that then transfer itself and compare itself even to that of maybe cricket? Yeah, uh, I think it's a great question, and I think again, fundamentally, you need both. Like, um, there are if you're if you're what you would call like a pure technical football coach who is an absolute student of the game, stays up all night watching videos. Uh, you know, you know the type. They're ta- you know, all about tactics. Te- like, if that's if that's what a coach leans into, that brings loads of strengths, but it also creates gaps. And there's there's a potential then that they're so immersed in the tactical side of the game that they don't really understand the learning environment piece. And vice versa, you've got um, I would say there's lots of coaches who are m- merging now from talent um, sorry coach education pathways who are more of a generalist. They understand learning, they understand coaching environments. There's a gap there potentially for them, but they don't really understand the game. So I guess it, it depends slightly on which part of the talent pathway you're working in, because I think if you're working at the sort of fundamentals ages, you know, in the youngest age groups, it's probably more important that you can do the learning environment piece and that your knowledge of the sort of techniques of football are sound whether you understand you know the best formation to counteract a, a 4-2-2-2 or a whatever 3 5 like I'm not sure that's that important whereas if you're a PDP coach at a Cat 1 Academy and you don't understand those things then that's going to get in the way of you giving the, the players the best experience so I think I think you're right I think I think coach education is in a really interesting space at the moment um and I think there's a danger in any broad system that you lurch. So you, do you know what I mean? Like you lurch from one philosophy to another, whereas the middle way is probably best. So there might have historically been an overemphasis on the technical and tactical side of the game. And you might have had level one coaches coming out going, yeah, I really understand like 4-4-2 and 4-3-3. And you're like, yeah, but you need to coach a six-year-old in a group of 18. So actually the relevance of that is is lower. And then I think my perception is the the system has responded to that by going, okay, we need to understand learning environments more. We need to understand, there's a a lot of academic research about learning and education. So let's get some of that in and, you know, ecological dynamics and constraints-led learning and some of the stuff you mentioned earlier, right? Which is all, is, is all always really, really useful. But the danger is that you lurch too far the other way or that the receivers of this education perceive that it's lurched too far. Yeah. You know, there was that, there was that phrase banding around, you know, let the game be the teacher, which I think has been taken out of context. Like, of course, the game will be the teacher, but you're also a coach like yeah. you've got to help teach the kids in your care yeah. like if you're not helping a, a young player understand the mistakes he's making then you're probably letting them down right yeah so 
no, Sorry, no, no, answer, but yeah. no, 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 hundred percent. I think I think it's 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 well put as well because I think that that phrase of let the game be the teacher. I mean, I think it's been taken quite literally. Um, yeah. And the way that I've always looked at it is, no, the game is the game is the facilitator or is the vehicle yeah. that you use, right? Um, but fundamentally, like you said, you're you're still the coach. So even if you're gonna go down that path of letting the game be the teacher, so to speak, well, what's your role in that? Your role in that surely should be to help the players understand the things that are impacting on their ability to play the game um, and to maybe go through some deeper reflection around, ah, OK, cool. This is what the game has taught you, has it? Right. But how's that impacted you? What have you observed in it? All of these type of things. So, it, it, you know, if you're going to be that type of coach who wants to go down the let, let the game be teacher, you have to be willing to support the players in the reflection reflection piece of it. Um, certainly that's my view anyway and I think yeah. it's really interesting so, so you know, looking at that then how would you say that maybe compares to, and contrasts to you know maybe your traditional cricket coach you know w- what's the emphasis there because obviously you know going from like I said earlier I think my naivety would tell me that it's as much as it is a team game it's probably a lot more individualised in, in the coaching yeah rather than yeah, the football right. aspect yeah, I mean, basically, the, the fundamentals of cricket are that it's an individual sport played within a team environment. So ultimately, when you're the batsman standing there facing a bowler, like, it doesn't matter what the rest of your team are doing, like, it's on you. In the same way the bowler runs in with the ball in his hand, it's on him or her, you know, whoever's bowling it. So, yes, the game is fundamentally an individual game. And therefore, the coaching environments tend to lend themselves to be more individualised, more one-to-one and small groups. So if I think back to my days working for England, I'm trying to picture in a sort of the training camps we used to run, and there, there would I'd say there'd be the whole um, uh, different levels of we'd have full team sessions, which might be fielding, or they might be a phase of play within the game, like an open net middle practice where everyone was involved all the way down to small groups. So you might have one training environment where you've got two bowlers and two batsmen, or literally a one-to-one where it's me throwing balls at a batsman, or the bowling coach literally in one area with a bowler. So I think what comes out of that environment is that's different to a footballing environment where you've probably got two, often you've got one or two coaches with a group of 10 to 18. So in the cricket environment, you tend to get, develop very strong individual relationships because you have a you have more time with individuals and b just that environment whereas you could be a football coach who's you know a club coach turning up on a tuesday and thursday night and you see the group and you run quite big drills and that's sort of the mode of mode of delivery so just for context then i don't have much um experience with cricket coaching or cricket environments in that respect but is it does it tend to be more than one coach? Does it tend to be a, several, a team of coaches working with a particular group or how, how does that work? Very similar to football if in, in that it's grown. So when I first was on the coaching staff at Hampshire Cricket, I think there was six, about six of us who literally did everything from academy through to the professionals. And that's including, right. you know, physio, I was the coach and S&C coach and minibus driver. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so yeah. It's, it, it was like, and that was with an entire professional squad of 25 and an academy of 10 or 12. So whereas I compare that to England under 19s, we might go on tour with 18 players and 10 staff. Right. So you right. have 
a head coach, batting coach, bowling coach, fielding coach. You'd have a psychologist, S and C, blah blah. blah. But so, it, if, it's really interesting because obviously <laughs> you talk there about essentially specialist coaches here. You got your batting coach, yeah. your fielding coach. Um, do you feel that cricket maybe uh, lends itself to a pathway where? coaches are pushed into a specialism or they pick up a specialism or how, how does that work because I think the challenge in, in football mm. certainly from my experiences and especially in the roles that I've, I've, I've worked in as a coach developer you know we've had the opportunity to engage with so many different coaches is mm. there is a bias right coaches will naturally let you know lean towards wanting to coach maybe more out of possession or in possession or if they're goalkeeping coaches or whatever but um, there's also maybe an unspoken expectation that they should know everything. Yeah. Um, so how, how does, how, you know, how does that kind of find itself in the cricket world and, you know, what can, what can football learn from that? <clears throat> well, I think it's a great question. Um, and I know that, um, well, I'll start with, I'll start with the cricket, but the answer is basically yes. Like my background as a player, I was a wicketkeeper batsman. So as a coach, I'm more comfortable coaching batting and wicketkeeping. And then I sort of, expanded that to fielding as well because you know that was a part of what I did whereas the fast bowling coach is likely to have had a mm. background as a fast bowler or the spin mm. bowling coach as a spinner so and the you know I've, I've historically continued to do some work for England cricket delivering on their um, coach education sort of our friend of their coach education pathway and uh, I think I'm right in saying that there were two routes you could go down one was you do the you do the modules that are um, the same for everyone, and then you either choose to go down the head coach route, which lent, which was more education around managing people, managing teams, managing up, or you go down the specialist coach route, which is basically choose a specialism and we'll 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 sort of provide education on that. So that's how it works in cricket, and then in football, um, I know that Matt Crocker and Dan Ashworth when they're at the FA. I know Matt Crocker very well from our time together at Stampton. Um, they started to introduce that specialist coaching, which I, I personally saw as a big step forward because I was like, because to your point, otherwise everyone's expected to know everything. Well, well I, th I think, um, I, you know, I'm just thinking out loud and <laughs> I think there is definitely space for this, right? I think there's, de I think there's definitely a need for it too. Um, but you know, just playing devil's advocate, and I challenge coaches that maybe say, "Oh, I'm a specialist in this." Um, okay, it's okay to be a specialist in this, but similar to what you said, and you correct me if I'm wrong in my understanding, is that yes, my experience of batting and wicketkeeping, but I still fundamentally need to know enough about the bowling or enough about the the opposition, if you're right. And, um, and I often challenge coaches, and I say to you know. For me, even in my coaching, one of the fundamental pieces for me is, well, whether I like coaching in possession or out of possession, if I do want to call myself an out of possession coach, well, I need to be very clued up on what the in possession looks like. Now, it doesn't mean I have to enjoy coaching. It doesn't mean I have to specialise in it. But I need to know enough about it to know that actually, how do I coach or manage the opposition to create a problem and a challenge for the players where I want to work it out of possession to really maximise and um you know stretch and challenge them appropriately because if i don't have that and i keep just coaching the out possession yeah yeah it, you know it's going really well well fundamentally i need to know what's gonna make it not go well so that i can then stretch and challenge them further beyond that i don't know what your thoughts are on that or where, or you, where your mind's at on that yeah that yeah definitely firstly i agree totally because like in possession and out possession are not mutually exclusive are they right <laughs> 
transitions occur every however many seconds so and also your ability to be effective at one is totally reliant on your understanding of the other in the same way if i'm a fast bowling coach if i don't know anything about batting how could i possibly tactically work with a fast bowler to go well when you're bowling at this guy he's likely to do this or if you're bowling at this girl she's likely to do that like so and i, I guess my own personal experience and example of that is I, I thought I knew quite a bit about wicketkeeping and batting because I'd done it every day for however many years. So when I went to university and I was doing my dissertation, I did it in the biomechanics of fast bowling because it was a thing I knew the least about. And then when I was in cricket, I paired myself up with the spin bowling coach because I was like, I want to learn about that. Because if I'm going to coach batters against a fast bowler, for me to understand the the approach the mechanics the tactics of what the opposition is trying to do is absolutely fundamental to me helping yeah. a young player so yeah i agree i think but i do think uh, one of one of the big work-ons myself and others have had with the coaches at southampton is ensuring that because now we've got loads of people you, know, you go to an under 18 session or a b team session there's a lot of people there's a lot of staff on the grass mm. and so the question that we'd be asking is like what is your role here and if you can't tell me get off the grass because otherwise you could just be a distraction and you can get that whole you know you we've all seen the scene where there's a football practice going on there's one coach in the middle doing everything and there's five or six people stood around the edges like in huddles just chatting and you're like well yeah well, I, th- I think it's an interesting one because, you know, I mean, like I said, I, just to give you some context, a large part of what I do, I work around in coach development. I do a lot of work in, especially at kind of level one to three kind of supported grassroots coaches around that. And more and more I'm seeing environments where there is several coaches. And like, these are the same questions I'm asking for. There's two or three of you here delivering a session, but only one of you is actually doing anything. Um, or you, it's almost like, you know, it's like a wrestling match, right? You're waiting for me to tag you in as soon as I've done yeah. my part. And it's like, well... It's, that's not that surely you can see that's not an efficient use of time or resource if there's two of you there then players should get access to both of you now believe it or not there actually needs to then be some communication amongst the two of you to recognize who's going to do what and why, why we're doing what um and it's not just a case of well i'm going to lead and you're going to do the individual bits and individual bits I mean, you just walking around dilly dally and, and, and having a conversation with whoever you want whenever you want because that's not effective either and i think one of the phrases i always like to use is that Whatever you do as a coach, you need to be deliberate and intentional with it. Do you know why you're doing what you're doing? And it's not you giving us a reason or you giving me a reason or giving the players a reason. No, it's actually you have you backing up your reason with some evidence which creates the rationale, right? And if you can't, like you said, if you can't answer that question, what are you doing here? What impact are you having? You might as well not be here. You might as well stand on the outside of the of the, of the training pitch where you can just be an observer. Yeah. And it, it, it can sound harsh, but fundamentally we're saying, well, take some accountability, take some responsibility yeah. for your role in, in, the, in the process. How are you then going to support the players? And I think mm-hmm. a large part of that, and this is probably the bit where I don't believe enough gets done on a general level to challenge and check coaches around this. Mm. But what are you bringing to the table? Yeah. Um, in the nicest way possible. What are you actually bringing to the table? What can you offer these players that they don't already have? Now, coming back to what we said earlier, there is an unspoken expectation that you as a coach should know everything, but we know that's not true. And it's not, it's not a, re, it's not a realistic expectation. However, it's okay to not know 
as long as you're open and honest with yourself about that so then you know the areas that you need to kind of go away and further develop on but at the same time you might even identify an area that actually i'm not really interested in that i want to specialize in this and that's just that's just as important as well i don't know what your experiences are with that and um mm. especially for a lot of the people listening to this many of them will be grassroots coaches something yeah. you know there's quite a lot maybe working in academies already um and within that there'll probably be some that are really aspiring to maybe get to a similar environment to the one that you've been working in recently at cat one with southampton so what would your you know what would your thoughts be on firstly anything i've just said but beyond that maybe some advice or guidance around what coaches maybe need to start reflecting and maybe looking within on to yeah. kind of work themselves into those sorts of environments yeah well you made some great points there um and much aligned to what i was I was thinking and saying in that I, there's a very classic model, which is plan, do, review. And, you know, a lot of people are happy to say it, but there's not many people who actually do it. Right. So I think and I get it because a lot of grassroots coaches and I've been, you know, I've been one. You've probably been one. You're sort of rushing to a session that you're running because you've finished one job, you get in there. Um, you know, you've maybe in your mind thinking about the session, you've not had any time to plan it. Now that that of course can happen, but in an, in an ideal world, having some sort of planning is optimal. And if there's more than one of you in that environment, planning with the other person, even if you know some of our part-time coaches would have, they know this session was 5 p.m. They both finish work in their other job at four, so they have their planning call in the car and they're chatting through the session. Like, right, that again, it's not optimal because they're in the car and they probably should be focusing on driving, but. At least there was an effort, and you, you used the word intentional earlier. There's an intention to know what each other is doing. Um, so that would be my first comment: is plan, do, review. Even those who are quite good at planning, I don't think they're particularly good at reviewing. Often, how many people genuinely re review sessions and go, "What worked? Did our outcomes match our intention?" Etc. Mm. Etc. So I think there's there's those bits, and then. Um, your point around just just having some clarity on what you're going to do and what you're going to bring I personally think that should be your responsibility to the players because if you're not then again what not being harsh but what are you doing there like just going to stand around and occasionally make a passing comment like that's yeah I don't think that's that's not top coaching is it yeah, no, I, I I completely agree with you I don't, I don't think it is harsh but I think it's a, it's a truth that needs to be kind of be faced by a lot of coaches because I think you know, I've had conversations with coaches recently where they've been in situations and I've seen them say, and I'm looking, not 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 from not with a critical eye necessarily, not not with a judgment or anything, but question, did you did you have an impact today? Did you really impact anyone? Um, and, you know, one of the most obvious ones that comes to mind and frequently comes to mind is when I see players ask question of the coach and the coach kind of bats it off and it's like no crack carol crack on i'm thinking to myself that is probably the best opportunity you've ever, ever going to get to coach a player when they've actually tried to engage with you yeah. um because they've you don't need to, you don't need to sell them anything they've already bought in they've already bought in to understanding or to whatever it is that they, they're inquiring about and all you've got to do is give them an answer and, and it, the answer could you could still gain credibility by just saying, do you know what, I'm not sure, I'm not too sure about that. Um, rather than you having to think that you just need an answer all the time. So I think there's a lot to be said in that as well. And that, you know, even that plan, the review piece, you know, I agree. I don't think there is enough effort 
or intention to get that bit done. Um, but my question to you on the review piece is, what would that look like to do that effectively? Because obviously that's very different, right? And and, and I, a phrase that came up in a conversation over there was, are we observing through our eyes or the experiences of the players? Yeah, interesting. Oh, wow. Some big questions. I mean, I guess in simple terms, a simple answer is, I think a review needs to attend to some of the questions you've already asked. And I think any coach at any level could have a small number of questions they've got written in the notebook or in their phone or whatever that they could formulate, which could form their review. It might be like, did my did my outcome match my intention today? Or my, what were my intentions? Did my outcome match my intentions? Who did I who did I want to impact? And who did I impact? I don't know. So I'm just making it up off the top of my head. But something like that, you don't have to. That, that can you can do that on your own in 10 minutes can't you like if you just have it on your phone you just have it written down and you could start reflecting um I, th- I also think because i i do feel slightly it's difficult having i've operated in a cat one environment which is basically like a coaching disneyland do you know what i mean like there's coaches everywhere there's amazing facilities i'm a, full, a full-time member of staff who's literally deployed to help coaches so i'm totally aware that it's a little bit you know like throwing stones from a glass house, me saying some of this stuff. So I do acknowledge that. But I think there's always a level, there's always a version of what we're doing, you know, and Southampton and lots of the other academies will try and do things at a world-class or world-leading standard. If you're a grassroots level one coach and it's just you and um, you're you're working with your under-11s team, there's still a version of doing a full debrief. It just looks a bit different. So I guess the challenge to any coaches listening to this is trying to work out what is what is realistic um, and what is possible that would actually help you. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I often say this, you know, don't let um, be limited by resources, but not by imagination. Yeah. Right. In in the sense that, yes, Southampton might have all these full time members of staff. They might have all these resources. They might have all these things. But fundamentally, what what are the, what's the outcome they're trying to get? from having xyz in in place from having this number of stuff what's the outcome they're going after now if you take the outcomes that they're trying to hit and then think right okay if those are the outcomes how could that look in this environment now that's where the resources bit comes into it right and you've in in some ways you're now challenging yourself to be a bit more imaginative creative around okay how do we work towards that outcome um are we just recording games for the sake of recording games or mm. are we actually doing something with it? Don't just do the, don't just do it, make it impactful and meaningful. And then it kind of, you know, my mind then goes to the concept of you're right. You, you, you know, it could be throwing stones from a glass house, but a lot of people listening to this fundamentally, whether they want to work in academy football or in, in professional football, wherever else they want to work, they're listening to this because they want to get better. Yeah. So the challenge is, what can you take away from that piece yeah. the outcomes how do you go mm. after the outcomes and implement that in your environment without looking for reasons that, that it can't work um again just that deliberate and intentional piece really and then when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I guess, you know, I'm just thinking now, if we go back to the phrase of let's ga- let the game be the teacher, well, why would we go with that phrase? We'll go with that phrase because we're promoting the idea of letting the players have more creativity, have more freedom, have more opportunities to experiment. But your planning's done for you, isn't it? So you've got more time to actually do the review piece because the planning is already done. I think the, the piece you don't got to now look at is how impactful and what, what type of game are you playing with the players? What type of constraints are you putting on the, on the yeah. sessions? Well, what type of... Yeah, like, well, yeah, yeah literally. And... Um, yeah, go on. No, so I was just going to say, you just made me think that I think, and look, I think the whole let the game be the teacher piece was a response to stop, stand still. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I think historically um, we've had coach education where you plan your session on a clipboard. It's inc- You're being judged on how regimented it is. Did you spend 10 minutes on that section you spent, you were going to spend 10 minutes on? Did you spend, then do the game? Did you do the whole part? Like very regimented. Everyone was being coached. Stop, stand still. And the danger, there's so much positive about that. But if you get it wrong and the feedback, we always, like we get feedback from players all the time. They always say coach stops it too much because they just want to play. So the kids want to play. They want to explore the game. So there's absolutely times when there's an amazing learning point that you need to make and you need to go stop, stand still. Well, what's just happened like let's explore mm-hmm. what's just happened right and there's times when you've got to let it flow and you've got to allow them to experience making an error so i think the whole let the game be the teacher is that lurch isn't it yeah do you, do you think do you think we've lost an appreciation for that as a, as a general thing i mean i i, I think it's you know, i consider myself quite fortunate right in the sense that i went through up to ua for b done the youth modules but i went through ua for b kind of old old money if you like yeah. um and then did my A license, did AYA, um, obviously in kind of the new format. And I think if you were doing, if you had a similar pathway to that, I think you would have, you you probably agree in that you got the best of both worlds from a yeah. coach education standpoint. Um, you really got to understand, learn and appreciate and look at the technical aspects of what come with the stop stand still exactly what you just said there. But then you also gone down the other end of the spectrum and you've got that piece um, around let the game be your teacher's fundamentally, you know, constraints-led approach and using different formats of practices and even intervention styles as a leading f- a way of interacting with your players. And then kind of br- full circle brings us back to that middle point that you talked about earlier where we've actually, well, it's neither or, it's yeah. what do we need and when do we need it? Um, whereas I feel like if you'd gone through all your coach education prior, you probably don't have an appreciation for how much this part can help. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going through your coach education now, you probably have limited or lack of appreciation for just how important the technical bit is, the, stop, yeah. the stop stand still pieces. Um, but fundamentally, and I think this is probably the biggest takeaway for me going through it and reflecting now, well, stop stand still me allowed, or stop stand still for me allowed me to really understand how the game connects itself. On the you know when they talk about the on the around the away and how it affects bigger picture in terms of the finer technical detail that goes into you know if Ian can't complete this five yard pass well we're never going to play out from the yeah do you understand but I think in, in in today's generation I think you see coaches coming through now and it's almost they're still trying to play out from the back and it's well hold on a second they can't actually transfer the ball from here to here yeah. um and because 
for for whatever reason, no blame is being placed anywhere, but there's not enough understanding or appreciation for the technical detail of what goes in there. Um, you're not even correcting that. Yeah. And the question is, are you not correcting that because yeah. you haven't seen it, or you're not correcting it because actually you don't have the detail? Um, and then that kind of, you know, it takes me to a, a, a wider thought now where I think one of the ch- one of the things I've definitely learned over 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 recent years, anyways, and I've kind of divided it up. You've got technical detail and it's subjective technical detail, and then objective technical detail. And what I mean by that is, I know if I want to, you know, you're you're sitting here in front of me. Let's just say we're ten yards apart. If I want to play this ball to you, well, I need to go through the back of the ball to make it go to you in that line. Um. Now, the subjective piece is where I can use my toes, I can use the heel, I can use the sole of my foot, I can use, I can just roll it to you, whatever, wherever that looks like. But it needs to move in this direction, right? Now, that piece is where you can still allow the creativity to come in. Um, and I and I really encourage coaches to think about it and say, well, how important is it how they do it if they're getting it done? But if they're not getting it done, are you able to observe and diagnose and break down for yourself and for the player? fundamentally why it's not working is it a lack of technique is there a lack of understanding on how to you know get the timing right in relation to the technique and all the you know all the cues and triggers that come with that again i'm just thinking out loud yeah. here i don't know what your thoughts are on anything yeah. I've just said, though. Oh, 100% like as i said earlier i've got two little boys so you know my seven-year-old uh who's quite a smart little guy and actually quite you know if you ask him his favorite subject to school after sport he would say maths right so he probably at one point in the future wants to be able to do algebra. But in year three, he's not learning algebra. He's learning how to add and subtract and he's starting to do fractions. OK, and I, I like I use that as an analogy with coaches. It's like if you put an algebra problem in front of him, he wouldn't know where to start. So that's where the teaching occurs, doesn't it? In the set, So you might set up playing out from the back with some nine or ten year olds but they just that might be, be a problem they can't solve yet so you have to then diagnose as you said but what is getting in the way of them being able to do it is it their awareness of who's around them is it their movement is it their technical ability to pass or receive the ball and that's where you have to teach that now that doesn't stop them playing in a small-sided game at the end of session and having a wicked time like i think one of my observations of just I mean, sport, but life in general is everyone likes a dichotomy, don't they? It's like, it's either this or it's that, or it's, it's got to be this or it's that. Or, and people have all these massive arguments, don't they, about it on, I'm not on Twitter, but I understand that people argue on Twitter about this stuff. I mean, like, it doesn't have to be either or, it's a combination or it's both. And so, you know, I think we're circling around the same point that, that you and I are probably uh, old enough, I hope I'm not doing you a disservice, to have experienced a coaching, I did, first did my training for a UAB in about probably 23 years ago, doing all the practical, and that was absolutely as you've said, it was stop stand still, it was technical focus, da da da. And then you know I've been engaged in the last five or six years, seeing the way the AYA is delivered, and the and I think it's brilliant. It's similar in cricket coaching. Like I think there's a danger that cricket coaching is, is, is acknowledged that you need to understand relationships. Brilliant. Of course you need to understand relationships, but you, you could have the best relationship in the world, but if you haven't got a clue how the, you know, the mechanics of the sport work, it'll be very difficult for you to progress players to the top level. So I guess the point is 
it's never all one thing mm. or the other. It's the ability to go, what is needed by these players at this time? Yeah. What do I personally have in my locker that I can deploy? And then there's a final piece, which is the, I think you asked, I didn't ask the question about reflection. Like coaches do need to go through a process of reflection of going, what, what are my skills and strengths? And what are the areas I'm just not there yet? And, and it's okay, like it's mm. okay. Uh, because if you've got that awareness you can go right I know I'm pretty good at this area so I, when there's an opportunity to coach that I'm going to pile into it and and it, and there might be a scenario where you go oh I think these players need this and I just don't know about it yet so I'm I think what I need to do is go we will visit this lads or lasses like we will get there but you're gonna have to let me go and research about it or I'll get my mate to come and talk to you about it. So that self-awareness, I think, is absolutely critical uh, in in coaching. Yeah, and I and I'm just thinking that yeah about so I many. I think one of the major benefits I see of of the current pathway in football in terms of coach education is it's allowed a platform for there to be loads of variety in what good coaching could look like, um, and potentially a platform there off the back of that for coaches to be able to specialize and become specialists in different areas of the game I, I think my my only kind of concern around it is that is that then something for a lot of coaches to hide behind um and you know really one of my mentors always used the phrase the game will always find you out <laughs> the yeah. game will always find you out right um and it's almost yeah, like you know, you, you'll get found out, won't you? And if you, you, if you don't know enough about it, and you know, I think that vulnerability piece is just as important to say. Actually, I'm not too sure about this. Yeah. It's not really something I, I, I'm I'm well versed in, but actually, I can go away and find out the answers for you, or even just have that explorative conversation with the players around what this could be and what that could be. But again, I, I guess you know, my, my, I'm going, I'm my mind's racing now. But I'm thinking <laughs> back to um, you know, obviously we're looking at you said fundamentally cricket is an individual sport played in a team so i'm now thinking to myself well what can football learn from that in the sense of individual development plans because now when you're looking at idps and you're looking at those individual development plans it's essentially with the same lens right Absolutely. this is an individual in a team sport so yeah, what, and, what, what can we learn from that well i think it also acknowledges that the reality is it's not teams that progress. So, you know, we, we've had, Stampton have had a really good period of time. Like I think the academy's done an unbelievable job in the last eight, nine years. And there's a crop of players coming through at the moment who they won the under 18 league. That same group won PL2 Division 2 last year with an average age of about 18, 18 and a half. Like, that's a really strong group, but they're not going to all go and play first team. So the reality is it's an individual, it is an individual pathway. Now they they rely upon their team to support them in their opportunities. But yeah, I mean, look, and again, Matt Crocker led on a sort of review of the coaching structure and we started to deploy game coaches and individual coaches, which I'm sure will some people will disagree with. But the the purpose of that was that they had clear accountability. We come back to that same piece. So if you're the game coach, yes, and I'm the individual coach, that doesn't mean when the game's going off, I'm having a coffee. Like, and it doesn't mean if there's an individual session going off that you're, you know, playing PlayStation somewhere. 
we're both there. We're both a coaching pair. It just means there's a different accountability. And, you know, I don't think, I don't think anyone has solved individual development plans. We were doing it England cricket 10, 12 years ago. And, you know, it was an evolving piece and what works for one doesn't necessarily work for another. But what I think it does do is, is for me, it's about attention. Like we've all got a certain amount of time that we can deploy into these players. And it's a bit like it's being strategic, isn't it? So if you've got X amount of resource, where do you deploy it? And the whole purpose, like it's all a gamble. We're all guessing, right? Because none of us know which of these lads is going to be the next Premier League player. But we're trying to be as informed as possible to make the best guess about where we deploy our resources. And individual development plans are, a, are like a fundamental um, element of that deployment of resource. If you find yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. And I think I'm just thinking, again, thinking about what you're saying there. And it's something really important to highlight is that there is no one right way, right? No. Um, and it's whatever you're trying to work towards. And if you can have a clear understanding of well, what's the outcome that we're working towards here and have we got an idea of what the incremental milestones within that might look like um and if we don't that's fine too but as long as we can see that it's moving in the right direction because i think fundamentally it's difficult right to see well could we be further ahead because there's so many things that can impact on that in terms of how the coaches interact whether the players mm. actually understand it or how effective that process has been um and so many other things that can play a role in that it's just making me think now well within the individual plans really key point that you mentioned you know and i fully agree with this and i say I, I share the same view is we're not progressing teams we're progressing players that under 18s team that you've talked about was very unlikely they're all going to go through and become first team players especially not at southampton um because as soon as they step out of that well they're playing against fully fledged internationals then and competing for those places against fully fledged internationals from around the world, let alone just England. So, you know, the, the market is just so competitive in that respect. So then the question is within the individual development plan, and this is probably the, the, the one I'm, I'm really kind of thinking about deeply is, well, what's that based on? Um, is it the need of the player? Is it the want of the player? Is it the need for the player to fit into a system at Southampton or whichever mm -hmm. club it may be? Is it recognising that actually I'm the under-18s coach and I'm looking at this individual thinking, you know, they're decent, but they ain't going to be, they ain't going to make it into our first team. It's not happening for, for, for whatever reason. Therefore, now we're developing them as an individual and supporting them around developing as an individual to get wider experience of the game fundamentally knowing it's not going to be here so then it kind of to some extent throws in the question of how deliberate and intentional are we going to be with our value mm. that we're going to put in and the effort that we're going to put into supporting this player mm. knowing they're not going to be here yeah it's a great question and one i spent many many hours talking to uh to the guys about and so i think there's, there's philosophically, I think, two different questions here, right? One is, what do we think they need as a player? And the other one is, what do we need as a club? And those two things might, might be the same, but they might be different. And let's be honest, right? All, everyone who's a coach uh, and any, everyone who, especially in a, 
uh, a professional academy or a professional talent pathway or whatever you want to call it like the ultimate the ultimate challenge you've got is you can't provide everything for everyone so you have to make choices and then I talked a little bit earlier about like it's about deployment of resources so you're using as much information as possible well hopefully you are not just sticking your finger in the wind which I have seen happen quite regularly right and anyone who just tells you ah oh, he's a player or he's a not player just turn to do one right when they're 15 because you haven't got a clue no one has but you can you make a best guess based on what you know about a lad and then if you've got a lad or, or a girl who's showing all of the attributes and skills that you believe the club need at that time then it would make logical sense to prioritize their development plan around that Whereas, and we did this, I think we started getting a bit more skillful at this. We might go, look, at this stage, this this player in the PDP, it doesn't look like he's going to be a Premier League player, but we still think he could be a professional somewhere. So what are the experiences he needs on his development plan? And that might be, he needs a loan. He needs to go and play a conference club or a EFL club, because that's he actually needs to understand what does it look like both on and off the pitch to turn up at wherever it might be. Um, so, I, so those, I guess those are those are the two things. And then if if it looks like the lad, because this can also change, can't it? I and mean, I've seen it change in both directions, where you've got players who you think, I just don't think they've got a future at this club because of the profile of player they are. The manager changes, and suddenly they've jumped past five yeah. other players. And, and it's a really important point. Um, and you've just really sparked a thought in my head. And so, again, another conversation I've been having for coaches recently, we're at that time of the year where a lot of coaches or a lot of clubs and uh, players are going through trial processes, right? Um, so this talent ID thing is really interesting to me because I'm now challenging coaches around their perception of what makes an effective uh, an effective trial, right? And what their, what their thoughts, process, thoughts are around it. And it's... it's are you looking at this player? I'm saying, okay, I'm looking at Ian. I'm saying, right, Ian's not quite good enough. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean that Ian's not quite good enough because the group that you've got at present, Ian's maybe not quite there? And that, that that's fine. There's no necessary right or wrong around that. Um, or is it actually, although Ian's not quite there now, we can see potential in Ian, um, which means that he might end up being able to get the right level of support. Or And it, it, it'll be interesting to get your thoughts on this. Or are we looking at this player's potential subconsciously through the eyes of how we view ourselves as a coach and our ability to impact that performance? Um, I don't know if that un- that, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But, um, well, that's a deep question, that I reckon, because I'm trying to remember the quote, but it's something like, we don't see the world as it is, we see the world as we are. So we arrive at every every environment we arrive at with our own biases our own history and therefore what we view is not the world objectively it's the world subjectively isn't it so yeah you're dead right like and and i think coming back to that self-awareness piece so i know let's take let's do some footballing examples right i know when i'm out there watching a game i will over index on players who run hard work hard track back obviously I'm looking for players with with you know good on the ball skills but I just in my heart because that's my lived experiences I like a hard worker 
that's just me. So, but the fact I'm aware of that means there's a chance I might be able to uh, acknowledge that bias if I'm making a judgment on a player. Like I'm likely to, I'm likely to argue for a lad if I think he's a hard worker and he's got good approach, rather than a lad who's got you know a load of stepovers. Whereas there'll be someone else who has an over-index on the skills on the ball or do you know what I mean so but the key I think is through self-reflection and through gathering feedback and this would be a massive piece of advice sorry to be preachy but to any coach get some feedback I think this is brilliant feedback on yourself because unless you have opened yourself up Mm. and I I feel like a bit of a pin cushion because I've been on loads of programs where you you have to send out 360 feedback and it's just like all your colleagues are rubbing their hands going right let's pile into brunchy now you know give them some clean feedback but I've had some amazing, amazing learning moments where someone gives you, and it's the feedback that hurts a bit. And yeah. you're going, oh, like, it feels like yeah. a, it's like an arrow to the heart. And you're like, and then after you've got over the pain, you think about it and you like go through that grief cycle. And then you go, yeah, they're right. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're spot on because no, it just reminds me of um, a few coaches that I worked with in the past where they're not, so, you know, they're either viewed as the most competent coach in the environment or the most experienced coach in the environment, which then naturally leads the perception of most competent. Um, and therefore, they're very rarely challenged. Yeah. And it's almost, oh, this guy should know what he's doing. He's been doing it for long enough or she knows what she's doing. She's quite experienced. And it's like, yeah, but do they really? Or, 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 or you know, for, for, for lack of a better <laughs> phrase, are they just lost in their own source? Um, and that's the role, like that's the role for me. And the, look, the Premier League, I think, have done an amazing job. And the, I mean, if I, I'm a massive fan of the Premier League and the FA. I think they are absolutely trying their best to support coaching, coach development. The money and the resources going into it at all levels is brilliant. And the, the heads of coaching role, which has you know become a regular role within all clubs now, I believe. Um, certainly ones with academy status mm. and the purpose of that or one of the key purposes of that role is to provide coaching observations you know that that was the role i came in to deliver at southampton and it's hard like you know i came into an environment where let me get this right i think the under 23s coaches at the time one of them had played over 100 international games and the other one had played about 400 pro games so i'm there and bearing in mind, they probably wouldn't have followed my footballing career <laughs> in non-league that much. So, you know, they probably think, oh, who's this ex-cricket bloke who doesn't know anything about football? So, and I'm supposed to be going in an environment providing observations for these so-called experts. And, and you know, good blokes and fair play to them. They, and I had to be skillful, clearly, because if I wandered in and started moving their mannequins around and, you know, telling them what they're doing is, is stupid, I'm going to get booted out within minutes. So I had to take my time to develop a relationship and a rapport. But the reason I, I sort of go off on this ter- sort of tangent is I had to provide them with some feedback. So first of all, I had to watch and observe and go, what is it that they're doing really well? And are there any things where I think, oh, I think I might be able to provide basically hold a mirror up isn't it like, yeah can I hold a mirror up? and i'm sure this is what you do in your role it's like can i hold a mirror up to what you've done and then we can have a chat about it it's, it's really interesting right because you know I, i'm just thinking about i just 
as you're speaking, I'm literally thinking about experience I've had and even my own experiences when it comes to the feedback piece. Um, I'm sure you know, I'm sure you know Rusty. Very well. Yeah. Yeah. So me, me and Rusty had a few conversations and we're talking about delivering feedback to coaches and what that should look like. And, um, you know, he likes to use this kind of Nando style approach, you know, mild, yeah. medium, spicy. And yeah. I think to myself, well, no right or wrong. But I agree with what you said earlier. In a uh, in the, in a non-malicious way, you've got to hit them where it hurts. For them to take any you know notice of what's been said, and I, I fundamentally believe that. And I think for me, it's do you ever go down the route of actually asking coaches what they want feedback on? Because the thing is, I think the challenge that comes with that, and and, and this is you know, first of all, they all have blind spots, so they don't actually know what they want feedback on, exactly. or they often come back and want you to give them feedback on what they think they're strong at. And it's like, well, and that's natural, right? That's yeah. that is that's a natural human thing. Yeah. And it's I think the way you're going in is the sort of wants versus needs. Yeah. And you you could ask anyone what they want, and what they want is something that makes them feel good about themselves. Right? Yeah, yeah. We're all the same. Probably what they might need, and this is this is where it's down to the skill of the coach developer, isn't it, or the person providing the observation and their understanding of the relationship and and all these complex humans are complex aren't they because you've Mm. got to choose very carefully if you're going to give someone some a potential jolt of some feedback you've got to choose carefully haven't you and you've got i in my mind um it's important to have prepared the environment for that Mm. feedback Um, because the danger is if you just it's like a two-footed tackle isn't it if you if you dive in and break both their legs, they're not going to play for a while, right? <laughs> so if you dive in there's a de- and go real hard, there's a danger that you might hit them so hard they stop coaching. Right. That's a leg breaker. Yeah. So you, sorry for my weak football analogy or metaphor there, but <laughs> you have to choose, don't you? And Yeah. And, um, so I think it's an interesting one to, to choose. Like, when do you give it? How do you give it? Do you, do you prepare it? Do you contract it? Like I remember listening to a guy from New Zealand rugby who've got you know historically a very strong culture and all that, and he talked about saying in their environment they would he would prep it by he'd go to a player or a coach and go, I'd like to have a performance conversation with you. Now as soon as he'd said that, what he was doing was he's like, yes, is it all right? Can we grab a coffee because I need to have a performance conversation with you you now know you're stepping into that coffee and I'm probably going to say something that might challenge you. Whereas if I just went, yes, can I have a chat with you? Probably just a normal conversation. Yeah, yeah that's a really good point, actually. I never really thought about that. That's actually um, it's probably a useful one to go with. Um, but, you know, it's interesting to have it, to almost set the expectation of what that might look like yes. ahead of time in terms of, you know, the, as part of this process, we're going to have conversations and we're going to have performance conversations. Yeah. Um, and and you're just priming. Thing- priming mate at 100% and the other one that I learned from someone else who's very good at giving feedback um, was to contract and go how are you today yes how how are you getting on you're right yeah Um, we're going to have a performance conversation I just want to check in with you out of 10 what level of challenge are you um, sort of feeling like you can accept today and then you've got the opportunity to go, do you know what? I've had a terrible night's sleep. My kid's been playing up or I've just been beaten up. You know, my wife's been giving me stick at home, whatever. 
I'm just, I can't have it today. Like three out of 10 would be too much for me. And it allows, whereas if they go, yeah, yeah, no, cool, let's go 10 out of 10 or, you know, nine out of 10, at least then you've primed the environment that A, something slightly challenges is on the way and also you're ready for it. And, and, and it basically it's permission, isn't it? You've given mm. me permission as a caring yeah. person who's going to, because like, it's not easy giving feedback, is it? Even for the person giving it, it takes energy. Hundred percent. Because I think you, you're, you're, you know, certainly me. I mean, I'm also, I'm always conscious of how is this going to be received. Um, I want to be open and honest with you. I want to give you honest, you know, honest feedback on what, whatever's happening. But how is it going to be received? Are you, are you really ready for the honest feedback? Because we all talk about we want honest feedback, we want open feedback. Yeah. But how many of us really actually want it? Um, <laughs> especially when we're not sure where that honest feedback is going to lead to. Um, I am, I am conscious of time but I'm really you know interested to kind of maybe get, get some key takeaways from you in terms of mm. what can coaches think about now what would your guidance be to coaches to think about in terms of how to go away and seek that feedback or how to look within and do some self-reflective piece because I think you, you you know you talk about it briefly having a couple questions is key but and I'm sure you'd agree but how important it is to actually then evidence your reflections um so I guess for the first part, I think there's a number of things any coach can do, right? So there's probably three, there's three basic areas where you can get feedback on yourself. One is self-reflection. So, and I would encourage any coach just to, like we've all got a phone these days, or most people have got a phone, just stick a stick your headphones and record. You've got a voice recorder probably on your phone. Just record yourself and listen back and do some self-reflection about what you sound like, what you you know what you what you're saying to players and that's amazing if you, you know if you're lucky enough to be able to get a gopro you might even be able to stick that on your chest and you can get a bit more of a first person view so there's self-reflection secondly i'd always I, ultimately your customers are the players they're the ones who are on the receiving end of your goods so ask them and we we, we would regularly we'd ask the under nines for feedback now they don't give the most informed feedback and they often you know, it'll be like he's got rubbish banter or whatever. But we'd always ask the players for feedback on the coaches. And it's so powerful because whoever it is, you can pick up themes and trends. Yeah. And I, I, I just want to add, add, add something and then just get your views on it as well. And I think it's really important that, um, you know, the coaches don't go with this whole reflection and feedback piece. But how did you find today's session? Was today's session good? And it's like, well, go with things that are actually going to help you improve your delivery and actually yes what, what, what does it mean to me that the players enjoyed it I, I don't really care whether the players enjoyed yeah, it no. I want to know what they enjoyed yeah and get and get those real nuggets if, you, if that makes sense yeah. and be specific on yourself as well like how would you rate my communication like were you clear on what was going on do do you think I understand the game like be specific because then if you're specific you can do something about it okay and if there's a if there'll be a theme there's always a theme like there'll be a theme that you're probably good at some stuff and you're probably weak at some stuff. And then you've got a choice, haven't you? Like, what can I do about it? But just to back, back to that model, it was like self-reflection, get the get your customers to reflect, to get the players to reflect. And then if you can, get observed by someone who knows a bit more than you. Like, and most people are lucky enough on FA courses or whatever, or get your coaching partner. We, we do peer-to-peer observations. Like just get someone yeah. else to watch you and feedback. Doesn't have to be complex. So th- those are those bits. Um, I can't remember. I think there was a second part to your question. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, just just looking at you know the the, the depth of those questions, and obviously you know we talked there about the importance of the reflection piece, but just the depth of those questions. I think you've really covered it in that in that piece as well. To be honest, and, 
it's just how important it is for us to consistently check and challenge ourselves and yeah, I, yeah I, I think it's just again I think there's a lot of coaches in here and I and I, and I appreciate and recognize that the challenges coaches may have especially like I said if you are deemed as the most competent in your environment or you haven't necessarily got access to people around you that can um probe and check and challenge you appropriately or even a mentor in some capacity mm. um where do you get that from and you know how do you get that ongoing self-reflection how do you get that you know that ongoing that mirror held up you know sometimes yeah. you might actually have to hold it up yourself and just try and pull yourself yes. out of the situation um sorry to dive in yes but there's the other the other thing you're making me think there is you've heard that sort of phrase uh, naive expert so if you're the you know deemed as the best football coach in your club or whatever like get the local rugby club who's the best at his to come in because they'll ask naive questions about oh, why are you doing that like well hang on a sec you've done that five times is that is that deliberate or whatever so get someone who might have yeah. some knowledge about broadly what you're doing but will ask naive stuff i think that's an amazing way of getting some thought-provoking stuff going i think you're spot on and i guess that you know probably lends itself quite well to to you and your own experiences in the world of going from cricket not just playing but coaching um and then obviously having those experiences both as a player and a coach in, within the football world and just I think it's just I'd summarize it by saying there's so much that we can learn from not just one another within the industry but away from it as well you know what are the nuances that exist in other sports are we actually just really tunnel visioned in how the coach education within our sport tells us that things should be done or are we looking wider and, and thinking actually there's some really good practice there um because whether rightly wrongly each industry each kind of governing body will have its own agenda around what they think effective coach education looks like so yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I'm conscious that we can probably get thrown into yeah. another another rabbit hole here, and it'll be it'll be you know interesting to potentially look at maybe jumping on again and having another discussion. But just want to say a massive thank you to Ian, and um, I don't know if there's any final messages that you want to leave with the audience. Well, firstly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yes, thanks for having me on. Um, I guess the final message probably it's a bit of a broken record, but the only the only way you'll get better at anything is to ask yourself some hard questions. That's my experience whether you're a player, a coach, an accountant, whatever, is if you sit in, you know, if you sit in your little bubble thinking I've got this sorted, you'll not progress. So that would be my my experience is that get some feedback, try and work out an area to go after and then go after it with, with a bit of passion. Awesome, awesome. I really appreciate that. Ian, again, massive thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have and uh, look forward to catching up soon. Tom there you have it guys another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys take care Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.